Well, we're coming to the end of this series called Pray Like Jesus. And I hope that this has been a, a good, hope it's been as challenging for you as it's been for me. You know, I was encouraged uh, last week. I got back a lot of your, one of your assignments two weeks ago was to paraphrase the Lord's Prayer. And in our adult Bible fellowships, many of you, um, our adult Bible fellowships all did that. And, and wrestle with with how you can rephrase it. And actually out in the foyer there is a, um, each one of the ABFs, their paraphrase. But let me read to you one of those. Our Father in heaven, may we glorify who you are as you reign through us so that we can bless your name. Provide our daily needs. Help us to be mournful of our sins and to quickly repent towards you. And towards others, help us to put on your armor so that we may be protected from ourselves and against the devil's schemes. And and there's lots of other really good paraphrases out there for you to read. See, one of the great things about about coming early for, actually it's not early, it's 9.15, coming late uh, for an adult Bible fellowship is that you can gather together and, and talk about these things and wrestle with what scripture means. And so thank you for, uh, for putting effort into that. Check out the ones out back. I think you'll be encouraged. And also for those of you that this last week spent a meal fasting or a day fasting, I know some of you did five days. Um, I hope it was as encouraging to you as it was for me and that we make it a, a regular part of our spiritual disciplines. I think fasting is something we've really uh, missed out on, and, and because food is so much controls us, and so I hope that we make that a part of our regular spiritual discipline, maybe on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis. All right, this morning, turn with me to John chapter seventeen. We're going to be looking at the high priestly prayer. Now, this is a prayer that Jesus prayed. Actually, last week we did the Gethsemane prayer. The prayer that Jesus prayed here, the high priestly prayer, was actually prayed just before Jesus and his disciples left for Gethsemane. But Jesus here is in the upper room. He has just taught them the the upper room discourse, which is the teaching that Jesus did about end times. It's from chapter 14 through 16 is that upper room discourse. Then chapter 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Now let me ask you a question that I asked myself this week. When I pray, do I pray to get or to glorify? Do I pray to get or do I pray to glorify? You know, when I pray, do I have myself in mind? Um, is, is it, is, are my motives when I pray to get God to see things my way? When I pray, do I pray to get myself or someone else out of a, a tough situation? When I pray, what is my number one goal? What are my motives when I am praying? Well, let's look at John 17 and let's look to see what were Jesus' motives when he prayed. 
And here in John chapter 17, first of all, Jesus begins, he prays for himself. Beginning at verse 1, it says, And Jesus said, Jesus said this, He looked towards the heavens and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. So Jesus begins by, first of all, he prays that that he would be glorified. But the question becomes, why does he pray that he himself would be glorified? Well, he prays that, that he would be glorified so that Jesus would glorify the Father. You see, he wants to glorify and honor his Father. And Jesus provides for us a very important example in regards to to what our prayers should be like. He asks for blessing so that he might better serve his heavenly father and do his will. So when I pray, do I pray that God would bless me so that I in turn can glorify and do his will? Or or are my prayers self-serving? And I think that's one of the things that has been so convicting for me during these four weeks is is I've been reminded of how self-serving and self-centered my prayers often are. Lord, help me with this. Lord, provide that. But what is my reason for praying that? Do I pray that so that God would be glorified when my prayers are answered. And I think oftentimes our prayers go unanswered because they're selfish. And they're for selfish reasons. In James chapter 4, verse 3, James says this. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because why? Because you ask with wrong motives. Let me ask you this week, just look back over your week and think of all the things that you prayed and all the ways that you prayed. How many of your prayers were prayed in such a way that you wanted God to be glorified? And how many of my prayers were prayed that that I would be more comfortable, uh, that I would get, that I would have? How much of it was about yourself? And how much of it was to glorify God? See, our our requests and our prayers always must be with the Father's will in mind. And so do I base my request solely on what I want? Or do I base my request on wanting to see him glorified through my prayers? You see, I believe when I pray, I need to have a better eternal perspective. So how can God best be glorified through my circumstances? And how will eternity best or be most impacted by the way that I pray? And throughout Jesus' prayer, here in this um, high priestly prayer, he prays his desire as always to bring glory to the Father. And Jesus illustrates for us the proper place that prayer should occupy in our lives. You know, so often my prayer are just emergency prayers. I get in trouble, what do I do? Oh, I better pray. 
well, that's okay, and we need to, when, when circumstances come about, we need to be praying. But praying should be a part of the regular, of the fiber of our spiritual lives. We should, as the Bible says, pray without ceasing. We should continually, all day long, be in communion and fellowship with God. But prayer too often, as Corey Ten Boom says, prayer is not our steering wheel. Oftentimes, prayer is our spare tire. In case of emergency, we get it out so that life can be better for us. But prayer should shape how I serve and glorify God. And I'm here to tell you, my prayer life is in need of some major renovation, rethinking, becoming more God-focused and not Dwayne-focused. And I need to look at how Jesus prayed here and begin to model my prayer after the way that he prayed. So Jesus, first of all, prays for himself, but he prays that God would glorify him so that in turn he could glorify the Father. So number one, I need to pray in ways that that when God answers my prayer, that he is glorified through the way that he answers it. When I pray for myself, then Jesus goes on and he he prays for his disciples in verses six through 18. Jesus there is praying for his disciples and he prays that they might be one as we are one. Now, you're going to see this, this that they would be one that becomes a common theme throughout the rest of Jesus's high priestly prayer in verse 17. The the second part, it says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. You see, Jesus knew that he was leaving this world. He knew that soon the disciples wouldn't have him to depend on. And really their unity was based around him. And he knew that when he left, that their unity was going to be tested. And so he prays for unity for his disciples. But he said, pray, he prays that they may be one as we are one. So what what Jesus is praying is that there will be a unity between the disciples, like his unity is between the Father and the Holy Spirit. You see, the Trinity is in complete unity, and, and Jesus prays that the disciples' unity would be like that of the Trinity, that they would be one, that they would be completely united, that nothing would separate them, because he knew their unity was vitally important. Now, unity is rooted right here in the Word of God. This is where our unity comes from. And our unity as a body becomes a witness to the world. And Jesus says that the world may believe. You see, the unity of the body is vitally, vitally important. In John 13, Jesus says that we should love one another. Why? So that the world may know that we are his disciples. So Jesus, he, he recognizes that, that unity is the, mo- one of the, the most important thing that the body can have. 
Because it is a revelation of God's glory to the world. And and the kind of unity that Jesus is talking about is not an organizational kind of unity where he's saying, okay, let's all be in unity. Here's how we're going to do it. See, this is a this is a genuine unity that he is talking about. It, it's, a, it's an all-encompassing relational reality that binds believers with their Lord and then with each other. You see, when we're in unity with our Heavenly Father, then that should automatically bring unity between us as believers. Now, will we sometimes think differently? Absolutely. We all, because God has made us so different, but we have unity in the word of Christ, in the word of God. It's very important. And unity that Jesus is talking about here can only be achieved through the regenerating and the sanctifying work that comes through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, what do I mean by regenerating and sanctifying? Well, Regenerating means that I'm reborn. I've been made new. So that the day I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I am regenerated. I become one with my Father. And when I'm sanctified, I am set apart. So the day I accept Christ, I am made a new person and I am set apart for the work of the kingdom. So that I can bring glory to my Father. That is where our unity comes from. When we are regenerated and sanctified, it brings unity to the body of Christ. And why churches fight and are in disunity, I don't know, other than the fact that there are too many people within those bodies that have not been regenerated and sanctified. But when such unity is realized that Jesus is praying about here, it brings deep joy within the body of believers and within each one of us as believers. Unity brings us joy. Unity um, shows the world is a witness to the world. And unity that Jesus is talking about here ultimately is a display of God's glory. And so when churches are in disunity, when we as believers are in disunity with with one another, we hinder the glory of God. So Jesus sees this as a very, very important part of the body of Christ. And he says, may they be one as we are one. And Jesus goes on and he prays that that they would be protected from the evil one. In John 17, verse 15, he says, My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. Now notice, you know, Jesus knew that that when at, at this point, when he was praying, Satan was completely focused on destroying him. But he knew that when he he left this earth, the day that he hung on the cross and was buried and resurrected, that all of Satan's fury, all of his his wrath would would be focused on his disciples. And that they were going to be severely tested. So he says, protect them from the evil one. 
But what I find interesting, he doesn't say to take them out of this world. He says, I don't want them out of the world, but I want you to protect them. You see, Jesus doesn't pray that, that, that Christians be taken out of this world. It'd be great that the minute that I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I would just be, just be resurrected into heaven and be there for all of eternity. That would be awesome. But we have to continue to live out our faith here on this earth until our time is up. So Jesus says that he prayed that his disciples, he didn't pray that they would find escape but he prayed that they might find victory. You know, he doesn't pray that they'd find an easy way out. And so often my prayers are that I could find an easy way out. Lord, keep me from this this, uh, trial and this tribulation. But Jesus doesn't pray that they'd find an easy way out, but he prayed that they might be conquerors, that they might overcome this evil. That they would be strong in the midst of the evil that they faced. In Romans chapter 8 verse 35 through 37. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Shall any of those things separate us from, from the love of Christ? Paul says, Ezra, for, you, for, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So Jesus wasn't wanting to take his disciples out of the world at this time. He just wanted them to be strong and to be conquerors. So we are, as Christ's followers, to be more than conquerors. And it is him that gives us that strength, that he gave his, his disciples strength to overcome those things. You see, we are to be in this world. You know, a life that is withdrawn from the world is not what Jesus intended for his disciples or for us. His disciples are needed to be in the world so that our blessing and their blessing, their, their, that our existence, our presence would be a blessing to the world. You know, we are here to show people who Jesus Christ is. In Matthew five fourteen, it says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither does a man light light a lamp and hide it under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a stand. Let me ask you, how bright is your light shining? And sometimes our light shines the brightest in the midst of trials and tribulation. Not that you be taken out of this world, but in the midst of those trials that you would shine brightly. That they would shine brightly. He will walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. So he prayed not that they would be taken out of the world, but that they would be safe, kept safe from the evil one. And he prayed that they would be set apart. Verse 17, he says, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. 
Now, that word sanctification, it, it means to be set apart for a holy purpose. So set them apart by the truth. And he says, your word is truth. Now, notice something interesting. It doesn't say that your word is the truth. It says, your word is truth. This thing here, this Bible that I hold is truth. It is absolute truth. Everything in it is true. And I must live my life by this truth. It's not a truth along with a bunch of other good books and and good readings. This is truth. And he says, sanctify them, set them apart by the truth. By your word, set them apart. And it is through the sanctification of the word that the other parts of his of his the other parts of his petition, easy for you to say, would be realized. Let me explain. See, the word would keep them from the evil one. The word would help, um, the word would keep them from the evil one. The word would keep them united with Christ. This is what keeps us united. This is what makes us one. This is what sets us apart. And we must be in this word if we want to keep ourselves from the evil one, if we want to be in unity. So he says, sanctify them by the truth. And Jesus goes on. And, and you know, I'm, I am missing so much of, of what is in this prayer. And I really want you to go back and go real slowly through this prayer and tear it apart. Because there's so much there. But I'm moving on now from Jesus prayed for himself. Then he prayed for his disciples. And now he's going on and he's praying for us. You know, back there, just before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed for us. He prayed for future generations in this prayer. And he also, just like he prayed for his disciples, he prayed that we would be one. In, in verse 20, go there with me to John 17, verse 20. He says, my My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And we as as Christians in 2012, we believe because of the message that the disciples took to the world. He says, verse 21, that all of them, that's us, may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See the importance there of being in unity? That the world will believe that the Father sent the Son. He says, I have given, verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I in them and they in me. May they be brought to complete unity. Now listen to this. To let the world know that you sent me. 
and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you see how important that thing of unity is? When he's praying for us 2,000 years ago, his theme is unity, verse 21, that they would that they may be one, verse 22, that they may be one, verse 23, that they may be brought to complete unity. Sounds like that's pretty important to Jesus back then, that we would be in unity. He says, may they be in unity the same way that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in unity, that they would be one, that we would be one, that we would love each other, that we would live in unity and work together to take Jesus to the world. You see, the day that I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I am reconciled to my Father. But I should also be reconciled and brought into the body of Christ. You, you, you can't walk the Christian life alone. You know, God set up the church, the body of Christ, so that we would walk together and be in unity. Because that's the way the world's going to, to be impacted by the church, by the body, by the people in the church as they walk together. He says, this unity will tell the world that the Father has sent the Son. So how do we keep this unity? How do we live in unity? How do we maintain it? How do we build and grow it as a church? I believe unity is a byproduct of our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a byproduct of people who are together following Jesus. You know, our home, Dwayne and Verda's home, cannot be a child-centered home. Because if it is a child-centered home, we're going to have problems because we will obey our children. And we will follow everything our children say. And eventually, our children will be damaged because our home is a child-centered home. Our home can't be a marriage-centered home. Because if it is strictly a marriage-centered home, and Vert and I focus all of our time on each other, and none on our children, and none on our relationship with our Heavenly Father, our relationship with the Father will be impacted, and our children will be damaged because we don't spend any time with them. But when I have, when we have, when Verda and I have a Christ-centered home where Jesus is the foundation, then we will love our children the way that the Bible tells us to love our children. I will love my wife. My wife will love me the way that Scripture shows us. You see, when we have a Christ-centered home, then a, a child-centered and a marriage-centered home is a byproduct of that. And that's the same way with our relationship here. You know, we can't have unity. I can't just this morning get up and say, Okay, church, we're going to have unity today. From, from, from today on, we are going to have unity. You're going to greet each other every Sunday morning when you come here. You're going to say, good morning, John. How are you this morning? I hope you're doing well. 
Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Aaron. How are you all doing? I am in unity with you. And we're going to have this unity. And, and so every morning when we come, this is what we're going to do to, to create unity. And then every week, you're going to call five people in the church. And you're going to encourage them so that we have unity. And so we're going to create unity here at the Fairlawn Mennonite Church that nobody can take away from us. Now, we can try to do that, but if Christ is not at the center of that unity, we will never have unity. You know, we can do good things. We can feed the poor. Uh, we can, we can um, go and serve. We can do all kinds of things, but ultimately somewhere down the road, that unity is going to go away. When we have a Christ-centered unity, when Jesus is at the center of our unity, then all of us will, then our loving each other, caring for each other, serving the poor, clothing the, um, the, the people that don't have clothes, that will be a product of our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus prays for our unity, our unity has to come from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of the other things are a byproduct of our relationship, of having a Christ-centered relationship. You see, if you put anything else in the center, even unity and the feeding of the poor, you still won't have unity. But if you put Jesus at the center, you will, and all the other things will be a byproduct of that unity. And unity is absolutely critical in the life of a church. But it comes first from your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe when churches are fighting... And in disunity and in disarray, I think the first thing that we should check is, so how is the relationship with Jesus Christ? If you find yourself um, fighting with another uh, person in the, church, in the body of Christ, if you find yourself um, always angry and, 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 uh, and trash-talking and, and being mean and gossiping, the first thing you need to do is check your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if those things are present in your life, then there's got to be something wrong with the relationship with Jesus. Because John, first John says that, that if, you, if you say you love the Father and yet you hate your brother, he says you're a liar. And the truth isn't in you. So unity that Jesus is talking about here in John 17 is unity that... that for us is, is, is unity in Christ. Because as we draw closer to Christ, we will draw closer to each other. As you draw closer to, to, to Christ, your marriage will become better and better. And your relationship with your children will be better and better. And you will be a better, better father and a better mother. But you got to keep your eyes on Jesus. So he prays for our unity. And as our hearts are changed and we love like Jesus, then good things will happen. And God is glorified through our unity. Do you hear that? God is glorified through our unity. 
as the Fairlawn Mennonite Church. Then Jesus goes on, and next, this is what I, this, I, I love this part of the prayer. It says, and he prays, he prays that we would be with him where he is. Isn't that just cool? Verse 24, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am. Check that out. I want those you have given me. So he's saying, Father, you know, God gave us to Jesus. It says, I pray that those that you have given me, us, would be with me where I am. Where is Jesus right now? Heaven. Preparing a place for us. Remember John 14? So it says, send them to where I am in heaven. Why? So they says, and to see my glory. So, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you gave me because you love me for the, before the creation of the world. Now, just take a step back and think about that. Jesus is praying that God would, would send, that the Father would send us to where he is so that we could see his glory. The glory that he had before the foundation of the world. How awesome is that, that Jesus prayed that for us. That we could go to be where he is so we could see his glory. And one day, praise God, we will. We will see his glory. I hope you're looking forward to that. Because if you're not, I feel really sorry for you. Jesus prayed it for us. How awesome. So what do I make of all of this? What should my response be to the way that Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago? Well, as I've processed this, first thing, we should care about God's glory and, and pray accordingly. That should be the number one thing on my mind. How can I today glorify God? Through my work, through the people I talk to, through my children, through my spouse. How will I glorify God today? You know, that should be the first thing on my mind every day when I get up. Lord, how can I glorify you today? And ask God to show you how you do that. We should care about the unity of the body and pray for it. Jesus cared about the unity, and I need to care about the unity of the body as well. And so I need to every day pray for the unity of the Fairlawn Mennonite Church as well as the broader church. I have a responsibility to pray for our unity and to do everything I can to create it. I should care, I should desire the truth of God's word and pray that he would sanctify me daily. This is your spiritual food. If you're not in it, you're going to starve to death. 
you're going to be malnourished. You're not going to be very strong. I need to love this word and be in it so that I can be set apart for his service. And then we should care about and pray for future generations. I need to be praying for the future generations, for those who are coming after me. For my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, I need to be praying for them and setting an example of what a godly man looks like. So do I pray to get or to glorify? So I wrestle with that this week. Yes. Yes. I pray to get. I pray to get healed. I pray that people would get saved. I pray that I would get the places safely. I pray that I would get the food every day that is needed for my nourishment. I pray that people get a job. But I pray that I get so that God can be glorified. I pray that people get healed so that he will be glorified. I pray that people get jobs so that he will be glorified. I pray that people get saved so that he would be glorified. Yes, I pray to get, but I always have to remember that I pray to get so that God would ultimately be glorified. And for all of us, my challenge to me and and to all of us, prayer is always to glorify God. God. And that's probably the one thing that I have learned more than anything else from this series of messages as I have studied how Jesus prayed. He always prayed with the Father's will in mind, and he always prayed that the Father would be glorified no matter what. And he was okay with it as long as the Father was glorified. So that's my challenge. As we pray, that our prayer would always be that he would be glorified through whatever the answer is. I loved Stan's quote. Sometimes God says no with a greater yes in mind. Stand with me. Father, I thank you for this For the way that you teach us how to pray through your son. And that we have little snapshots of Jesus' prayers that we can learn from. And may we all learn from them. Lord, I pray that, that our prayer focus, that my prayer focus would turn from self to serving you would turn from strictly self to your will being done through me and the way that I pray so that you would ultimately be glorified. Lord, my prayer for the Fairlawn Mennonite Church is that the way we would pray would be to bring glory to you. Lord, that we would be, we would be convicted and, and we would be challenged and we would be changed 
into prayers who pray to bring you glory. And that you would be glorified through our unity. That you'd be glorified through the way that we love each other and the way that we serve our community because of our love for you. Father, may you be glorified through the Fairlawn Mennonite Church. I pray that in your, the precious name of my Savior Jesus, amen. Hope this series has been encouraging to you, and I hope that it's changed you some, and that you will pray, begin to pray the way that Jesus prayed. Have a wonderful week.